morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You're with the Double L team, La Lynn. Lawson. Lawson, what are you thankful for this morning? Uh, let's see. I've had like the most longest gnarly as work week this week. You I've, sure have. I've just been flat out. Last night was another night. Got home at like 8pm. Is this ever going to end for you? I think is so. Is this your new you life? Know, this is, this is, it's, these are some of the busiest weeks of, of the year. You know, we've got like exams at the uni, opening of the food pharmacy, you know, I do radio. Where do I find this food pharmacy? Dude, it's down the road. It's in Cardiff. Where, where the, about in Cardiff do I go? At the Atune Health Centre. The Atune, Atune. A-T-U-N-E. Atune, Atune, Atune. I prefer to call it Atune because it's the same word for tuna. Can I get my car tuned up there? Um, no, you can do that at my like house. A, oh, okay. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, basically, I've been there. We've, we've been there, like, every day. Um, and, yeah, but I am super appreciative because the week is coming to an end. You know, I see the Sabbath on the horizon. Tonight we are having one of our, uh, well, amongst our first in-person meetings, like, for what we call Care Group, which is a Bible study group that we run in our church. Um, we have a venue to do it, which is, like, so that it's classes as a place of worship so that everyone can come. We're doing it at the church and splitting off into little small groups. And so I am so looking forward to it because it's the first time we'll be able to do it in like three months. Yeah, absolutely. That's going to be fantastic. That's going to be absolutely amazing. So Mm. uh, let me see. What am I thankful for? I'm I'm heading up to, uh, I think, Foster. This weekend? The Sabbath. This Saturday, yes. Yeah. Foster Foster Tunkari Adventist Church. Oh, epic. So um, that should be pretty cool. Mm. Looking forward to that. Yeah. I, I tend to go up there once a year at, at around about this time of year mm. and always have a good time. So, Oh, epic. Yeah. I know some people up there. You can say hello to them for me. I will do that. <laughs> you can write them down on a piece of paper and I will remember to say hello to them for you. <laughs> That's right. That's awesome. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Got for positively different news this morning. Okay, we're gonna, we've got a theme today. Okay. It's animals. Animals. And some of my favourite animals too. The weekly fluff. Dude. We had, we've had the weekly fluff twice this week. Fluff? What do you mean? This yeah, is fluff. scientific discoveries. And, of fluffy animals. Well, no. The, well, one of these animals is fluffy and we're going to get to that. It's actually, this, is, this is some cool stories. And non-fluffy right? animals. There's fluffy animals and non-fluffy animals. Slimy That's animals? Right. The, the, the first one's a bit of a slimy animal. Okay. But it has like skin that it slides around on. Because or snakes. It no, no, not quite. It is a baby seal. Okay, okay. It, be, it is. It is. They, seals. They, they, they do. They they do. They they kind of qualify for uh, weekly fluff because they're cute. They're so cute. Yes. Okay, yeah. The animals that are like like you know that hang around. Well, seals kind of hang around everywhere, but like, and then you've got like like the leopard seals and whatnot that hang around in the. The Antarctic region. Yes, they're they're like I think they're epic, epic as well. Yes, even though they're like so intense and they like eat they're penguins, super intense. But they're like really cool. But check this out. So, penguins don't think so. Yeah, penguins but, don't like them, mate. We're gonna get to penguins soon. So uh, they have been doing some uh, research on baby seals, and they've discovered that they are m- amongst the only mammals who have the ability to change the tone of their voice to mimic things around it, like a parrot. Oh, cool. So these things. Can actually kind of talk. Kind of talk. Yep. So animal communication is absolutely fascinating. Yeah. It is just like 
so we 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 know we understand so little of animal communication. It's bizarre. Well, they've been doing all this research with baby seals, and they've been putting them in different environments and finding, you know, depending on what they're hearing and the sounds that are coming in and the calls that are coming in, um, that they change their tone of voice. They change, well, they you know primarily change the way they act. They act from uh, maybe a seal communicating with them versus a human communicating with them. But what they've also found is that these baby seals. Have have the ability to mimic human speech. Yeah, that's epic. And so, like, for example, seals can be taught to copy human speech, like parrots barking catchphrases in gruff accents, like, come over here. Wow. So you could, like, hang out with your seal and teach it to, like, you know, scream, come over here at you in your kind of tone of voice. Similarly to a parrot, right? Like, yes. a parrot doesn't necessarily doesn't know, what know what it's saying. No, it has no uh, idea. But it has the ability to, com- uh, to, to, to mimic. copy and mimic human speech, which amongst mammals... like no, That's unheard of amongst mammals. Like, I thought only li- birds could do that. Literally. Like, this is... They're, they're just realising this now, and they're like, this is amazing. And so they're just doing a ton of different tests, uh, working with these mammals, and they're just uh, working with these seals, and they're just, like, finding it astonishing. And now they've branched out, and they've tried to, like, bring other mammals into the fray to find out, like, oh, can they do it too? But it's like, no, like, only only the seals. The seals are where it's at. Wow. So, dude, seals are absolutely killing it. Um, A group of animals who are weren't doing well for a long time, but are getting a little bit better, are the little penguins that live on the on Granite Island. Do you know where Granite Island is? No. It's off the coast of South Australia. It's a tiny little cool. island, and a bunch of penguins live on there. And they're really small and really cute, and they're kind of blue, and they're called Granite Island penguins. And So they're their own kind of penguins? I, I believe so, yeah. They call them pe- Granite the, Island, the Granite Island penguins. Okay. Um, I believe they might exist in other places. They're a very slight, you know, um, change in, you wouldn't even call it a change in species, just like a recolorization of like the penguins you would find in like Phillip Island, like the fairy penguins down there. Yep. They're yep. a little bit different color, but other it's than basically that, the same thing, but just with a slight, few slight variations. That's right. That's yeah. right. So these Granite Island penguins, um, are constantly attacked by foxes and all kinds of predators that live on Granite Island, which is... There's a solution for this. Yeah, yes, Lyle's eyebrows have been raised. He's, Lyle's like, I am the, the solution. can't be that big. <laughs> Get rid of the foxes. That's right. Why are there foxes right. there? Who brought foxes down? I need to look this up and see where big this island is. <laughs> well, it's, When you say Granite Island, I'm just sort of picturing in my mind a, a, a granite rock poking up out of the ocean. No, it must this be bigger is, than that. Okay. No, it's not. It's, my South know, Australian like geography is, leaving, is letting me down. My apologies to everybody <laughs> in South Australia. Yes, sorry, South Australians. But so uh, these penguins numbered at around 44 in 2018, but in last year, like 2020, numbered only 16. So like when a population gets down to 16, it's like, oof, yikes. But in the last census that they did last month, they saw that they had increased the number of breeding pairs amongst them to 20. So now there's 20 of these penguins. This does not mean, however, that, you know, the... Um, they're not out of, they're not out of they're the woods They're not yet. out of the woods. Like, but they're doing better. But they are doing better. They're What they're seeing is um, less attacks by foxes and whatnot. Like, they're, they're observing less and less of it. They're finding less dead penguins. Um, but I really hope these guys can recover because I think penguins are the best. If I could own a pet penguin, I would because penguins are amazing and incredible, um, and I hope that these guys can, you know, work So this is actually way. a decent island. The biggest problem is that there's a road going out to it. Yes. 
So foxes and cats could get across that road. Yeah. Uh, this is a decent island, though, but it's a nice big jetty on it. There's a, mm-hmm. um, there's a cafe there. Mm-hmm. There's the Granite Island Recreation Park. Mm-hmm. It's a cool place. It's down by Victor Harbour. I've never been to Victor Harbour, but it sounds like an excellent place. I need to go. Yep. And there's 20 Granite Island penguins who are hanging who needs, out there. Who need some protection. All right. Our last animal story. And this is, I'm just going to read, uh, I read this article yesterday, and I'm just going to read you the headline. You ready? You ready? Yes. 80-year-old yes. man fights off bear with his fists and wins. This was not a very determined bear. <laughs> so check this out. An 80-year-old... But this was a very determined 80-year-old man. Dude, 100%. Like, this guy is such a legend. You should hear this story. So this dude, he's from Ontario, Canada, and he fought, he fought off a bear who had broken into his home. Um, this happened last week. So this guy, his name's uh, Norman Ruff. He lives uh, near Port Carling in Muskoka, which is a, a small region. Um, like Tim Miller is saying, like, I don't know, Ball's End in Newcastle. He lives in, in uh, Port Carling in Muskoka, which is in Ontario, which is their, their province. Um, and, yeah, this 80-year-old dude, he's well into retirement. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Back up, back up, back up. What did you say it was similar to? Like, you say, like, oh, Wall's End in Newcastle. It's not similar to that at all because in Wall's End in Newcastle, we don't have bears breaking into our homes. Yeah, home. that's right, that's right, that's right. But, um, yeah, so he is, like, you know, uh, he's in his kitchen. <laughs> he walks out to his kitchen and there's a bear there and he's like, oh, geez. And then it just roars at him and he's like, <laughs> this is what he says, as soon as he seen me, well, that was it. He meant business and he roared, oh, boy. And so they start running, like circling the kitchen, you know, around the kitchen table. And as they're circling, Norman's opening all the doors behind him, and then the fist starts flying. The bear slapped him a couple times. Oof. He punched the bear in the face a couple times. Like, he was giving it this back. Is, this, is, this is not like punching a kangaroo. <laughs> yeah. This is next level. You think you've done well punching a kangaroo? No, no, this is not like that at all. Mm. But, and those slaps as well. Like, you know, he drew he drew blood. He had some nerve damage to his hand. Um, the bear had grabbed his mouth at one point and yanked, and there was, you know, lots of blood. He was taken to the hospital after, but afterwards. But essentially, they've circled around this table, you know, thrown some jabs at each other. This lasted a couple minutes before, you know, the bear kind of spotted one of the open doors and made its way out. And this is a black bear or a brown bear? Um, it doesn't actually say. I it's believe it was. A, I don't, it doesn't matter. It's it doesn't matter. Either it's which a, way. It's, it's a bear. Pretty hectic. It's a bear, dude. Like that's so intense. I would be. I would just run away. Like I would just go outside. Well, maybe I, I'm assuming that that was not an option at this particular point. Oh, this man is just the most legit eighty year old on the planet. Like he's just like um, unquestionably, dude. So good for this guy <laughs> for fighting off. Big this shout bear. out to all eighty year olds out there. <laughs> um, yeah, go get it. Shout them. out to everyone who's younger than 80 because this this proves that, hey, life isn't getting less interesting at this age. Like, <laughs> you're, you're fighting bears. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Um, But, hey, what's what's going on in current news? What's going on around the world? In more serious news? Okay, so this is a story about Roku, and many of you will probably have a Roku box sitting um, underneath your TV, which is your basically uh, streaming box where all of your different streaming apps come through at, and and so forth. And they have just announced that come March 22, I'm not sure why it's taking as long as March 22, I'm not sure why they're not doing it today, but come March 22, they are dropping all non-certified channels. Mm-hmm. 
which essentially means they're dropping all of your you know porn channels you know mm-hmm. things like Pornhub that kind of thing are all going because those are what your non-certified channels are and yeah I don't know why it's taking until March 22 but I'm glad they're doing it this is mm. a this is a positive step this is a step in the right direction they were previously listed in the top 12 um, companies in the world that were responsible for um, sexual exploitation and totally. child abuse material. <laughs> totally. Because there was so much stuff that was being streamed through their through their channels and through their devices and so forth. And so this is a really good thing. Um, it's, a, it's a massive uh, victory for survivors of self expo- sorry sexual exploitation. And basically the porn industry is an exploitation industry. That's mm. what it's all about. Now, you might be wondering about the top 12. Uh, the top 12 go in this order. There will be some names here that you will recognize and a f- couple that I might comment on as I go through. So number one in the world for sexual el- exploitation and child abuse material is Amazon. Number two is Chromebooks. And Chromebooks, they send out ebooks to schools and so forth and uh, millions of ebooks to schools. They have refused to turn on any of the safety features that they actually have, which just exposes, you know, kids from kindergarten to year 12 to all kinds of pornography. So they're number two in the world. Number three is Discord. Uh, number four is EBSCO, which is E-B-S-C-O. This is a leading provider of online education for uh, K-12 material. Uh, then you've got Netflix. Then you've got the state of Nevada. Uh, then you've got OnlyFans. The state of Nevada. Yes, the state of Nevada. Um, that was coming in at one, two, three, four, five, six. That was number sixth in the world. Number seventh is OnlyFans. Uh, number eighth is Reddit. Um, number. Then you've got Twitter, uh, Verisign, and Wish. So there's a, there'll be some there that you'll recognise for sure, and there was a to be honest, there was a whole bunch of them there that yeah I'm kind of vaguely aware that they exist. Yeah, I mean Amazon, everybody knows about Amazon. Mm. Everybody shops on Amazon, you know, all the time, particularly in the states where there's a lot of that kind of material that's available, uh, well, a lot of you know just general stuff that you, uh, is available that um, is great to buy on Amazon. Um, but yeah, didn't expect to see it there at the top of the list. But Roku is now off the list. Mm. And what has been driving this is, unfortunately, it hasn't been a return to good morals. It has been an increasing number of uh, court cases that have been taking place by people who have been sexually exploited by these companies and increasing realisation that, you know, of the course, this has been going on for decades now and that the court cases, once the precedences are set in place, once the common law is there ready to be used, they know they are going to be liable for, you know, literally billions and billions and billions of dollars and they simply cannot afford to continue uh, being able to provide this kind of material because of the liability cost. And so, yeah, praise God for the liability cost. I'm doing a good thing for our world right there, if nothing else. Um, and of course, some of the people who have followed that they're following on is you know companies like Visa and Mastercard. Uh, about eleven months ago, they saw the writing on the wall, and they're like, "Yep, we're out," and they stopped providing services to you know places like Pornhub and so forth. You know, your mm. big your big porn providers and so forth. And this is after you know literally dozens of lawsuits. Now, what has been interesting is 
um, to find out what kind of society is produced by a society that is uh, saturated with porn. And we're only just starting to see how that actually works mm. and, and what it actually produces and, and how broken a society that is. And so this is research now that's coming out uh, from George Barner from the uh, Arizona University. And one third of millennials, so he's defining uh, millennials because there are lots of different different uh, definitions, but the Arizona University has defined millennials as born between 1984 and 2002. Oh, yikes. I don't want to be in a millennial. <laughs> you don't want to be I a want to be a Gen Z, bro. I want okay, to so, be on um, the other side. Currently, one third of millennials in the United States identify as LGBT. Uh, 75% of them state that they are searching for a purpose in life. Mm. Um. Then we find that fifty nine percent of them see Jesus as being positive, mm-hmm. and fifty one percent see the Bible as being positive. So there's some, you know, there's some bright lights here, but uh, or some some opportunities for sure. But basically, what you've got is a generation that is largely adrift. Mm. Um, only eight percent of millennials believe that atheism is positive. It's a very yep. low number. That yeah. Um, then you've got uh, atheism's kind of done it to itself, though. Like yeah, it has. Like like to, when you position yourself as like the most skeptic, like volatile community of people. Yes, that they've they, they, they've done it to themselves. But anyways, yeah. Um, only six percent have a biblical worldview. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what was interesting is that in the age brackets of 18 to 24, I think you fit into that age bracket right there, mm-hmm. 40% of the population in the United States identifies as LGBT+. Totally, yeah. And that's a, that's a massive figure right there. Um, so there's a, there's a couple of things that sort of trigger a bunch of questions in my mind because that's not natural, that's not nature. You know, the, uh, the research that is out there, demonstrates that for people who are born with same-sex attraction, so to speak, that it's somewhere around 1% to 2%. The most generous research that has ever been done has uh, claimed, and those claims have not been uh, verified, that it's 10% of the population Mm. that are actually born with same-sex attraction. And so when you've got... Okay, so let's take the most generous. This is is research that's been produced by the LGBT plus lobby, um, let's let's use their most generous figures of say ten percent of the population, and then you have forty percent. That is not nature; that is a social contagion, mm. and that is symptomatic of a generation that is just completely a lost and adrift, and really does not have any purpose in life and no direction in life and they're just looking for stuff and experimenting with stuff and it's also symptomatic of a generation that's been kind of raised on porn Mm. you know because when you're raised with that kind of stuff and you've been looking at that kind of stuff since you were eight years old or whatever it might be then you can't expect that not to mess with your head Mm. that's that's an impossibility and so essentially what you've got then is a generation that is self-destructing as hard and as fast as they can because if you look at it from a spiritual perspective, they're self-destructing morally, and we know as spiritual people where that heads to. Um, but from a but even if you take it from an evolutionary perspective, LGBT plus is the opposite of evolution. Mm. 
LGBT, you know, an increase in LGBT is a signal of the end of the species and the mm. depopulation of the world. And when you see these kinds of things take place in nature, population numbers crash. Mm. And so we've seen, you know, populations just exploding um, in, in, in nature in the world. You know, you get a mouse plague and then the plague crashes um, and there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. And it's kind of what we're happening here um, amongst millennials. So this is some pretty serious stuff. This is basically a generation that is spinning out of control um, into self-destruction. They are troubled. They are searching for answers. They are adrift. And we need to be able to share a message of hope with your generation, Lawson. Yeah, totally. Like I... If I can just say, I'm like, yeah, this is my generation. I, I totally felt the same way for much of my life, um, but now not so much because of you know Jesus, Jesus. in my life. Praise God! Yeah. Praise God for Jesus Christ. Amen. He has the answer, and He can give us security in our life and a purpose. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Wicked New Testament king was eaten by worms and died for allowing people to call him a god. It's a story that raises all kinds of questions in my mind. I don't know whether we have an answer for this or not, but I do know that uh, if you have an answer to uh, what this, uh, who this king was, that you will get a prize. So zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the number to call. And I also know that joining us on the phone right now is Dr. Paul Wood. Dr. Paul Wood, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lyle. Uh, Dr. Wood, you know, just before we get into our subject of the day, I have to ask this question. There was this individual, and we can't name him because I know that you could name him or I could name him, who was eaten by worms um, in the New Testament because he allowed people to call him God. Uh, but without naming this individual, from a from a medical perspective, do we have any idea what actually happened here? Yeah, that's the thing. We've been asking interesting um, parasites that you often Feet. And there's one in particular I can think of, um, strong bodies from memory, that um, it can actually basically travel throughout your body, into your eyes, lungs, etc. Um, quite a nasty parasite. Whether that's what he had or not, don't know. Don't know. We, well, that's I guess we, we weren't there, but uh, I guess there's some nasty there's some nasty worms and parasites that are out there, so um, not something that we want to uh, uh, have happen. But, uh, Dr. Wood, today we're talking about... Um, well, overweight and obesity, is this a, pardon the pun, growing problem in our society? It is. And look, I guess it becomes quite topical as we get close to Christmas and um, people think, start thinking about their, their waistline and then thinking about trying to trim up afterwards. But yeah, it's actually been growing over the years. So um, back in 2017, 2018, one in three adults in Australia were classed as being obese. And that, that actually compares to one in five back in 95. And uh, when it comes to children, children, we're looking at one in four children are overweight or obese. So it's definitely been a growing problem over the, over the decades. And some, I guess some potentially interesting reasons as to why that might be the case. Um, I guess people look at things like our in, increasing sedentary lifestyle, but also things like um, eating foods or eating, eating, having a diet that has a higher caloric density um, than what we used to. Yeah, and, and, you know, when I sort of look at these figures here, that is very, very concerning uh, to see that actually, you know, taking place since 1995 because it's not something, you know, I was around in 95, you were around in 95. It's not something that we sort of, you know, notice so much because it, it, um, it does come on into society gradually, but that is a very significant increase and uh, the trajectory is not good for that at all. Um, 
Now, being overweight, of course, that's going to come with a whole slew of health risks. Actually, before I even go on to that, it seems to me that the um, possibly the easiest one to solve here would be the obesity in children. Surely uh, parents just being parents and having some control over what their children eat uh, could solve this particular problem. You know, even if they're struggling with whatever issues that they've had for a very long time, surely, you know, we can control children's lunch boxes, can't we? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, diet's definitely the big one. That's where you get the biggest bang for your buck. Um, but, you know, in defense of parents, I guess one of the challenges for parents is like when they go to the supermarket, for example, I mean, what do you see in the, um, at the checkout? It's all those calorie dense treats that, um, kids use pesto power for to, um, to seek to obtain them. Um, and I, I, and I guess what we're looking at is we're not looking at, you know, putting guilt onto parents, but we live in a society that's actually designed to, um, in, in a sense, promotes obesity um, compared with going back 50 years ago. And then you throw into the equation with parents, you know, we've got kids now who spend more time on screens, whether it's phones or iPads or whatever it might be, less time outdoors playing in the streets. And um, you know, I think back to when I was a kid, you'd be outside in the street playing cricket and other games like that. But a lot of kids growing up in the suburbia these days don't have that luxury, um, mm. which is a real, a real challenge. It is indeed. It really is. Okay, so let's talk about some of the health risks that go along with being um, either overweight or obese. Yeah, so one one really big one is type 2 diabetes, and we're definitely seeing this condition increasing. And I guess when you look at the risks for type 2 diabetes with, with obesity being particularly significant, it's not surprising. So basically, if you have a body mass index of greater than 30, so that puts you in the obese category, you're actually up to 80 times more likely to develop type 2 diabetes compared with if your body mass index was 22. So quite a substantial increase in risk with diabetes. And we also see a connection between things like diabetes and increased cancer risk. Uh, we know that obesity increases risk of up to 13 different cancers, and these include many of the common ones. So think uh, bowel cancer, breast cancer, prostate cancer, um, ovarian cancer, for example. Heart disease, we see go up in risk with obesity. Um, and the only interesting one that's been looked at in the last few years is we, we seem to have declining fertility rates. And um, it seems that obesity plays a role in, in infertility, not just in females, but also in males as well. So if any of, any of our listeners are struggling along those lines, this is something that, that can be looked at. And there's actually been some research looking at things like the Mediterranean diet for helping with um, countering obesity. And then there's osteoarthritis. So think your weight-bearing joints like your, your knees and your hips, uh, when you're carrying extra kilos, we put more strain on those joints. And, um, and obesity is a leading driver behind the increasing rates of people having knee replacements, for example. And then things like sleep apnea. Um, we're seeing this increasing too as well. So people who have unrefreshing night's sleep due to obstructing the airwaves, and that can lead to things like fatigue and mental health problems. Um, so yeah, that's just a few of the risks while. It's interesting there that you mentioned the Mediterranean diet and I note that Israel is a Mediterranean nation and Israel has a diet prescribed in the Bible um, which is you know fairly simple and fairly easy to follow but surely would be a contributor to the Mediterranean diet and the best of the Mediterranean diets. Would that be the case? Yeah, so the, the, the best of the Mediterranean diets, the authentic ones, you'll find that they all tend to emphasise lots of whole foods um, whole food plants um, in their in their diet. So you're looking at about sort of you know 90 95 percent of calories coming from plants. So 
lots of fruits, lots of vegetables, lots of beans, all these fibre-rich foods, which we know tend to be um, satiating um, and tend to have a low, a low caloric density. Yeah, and it's also interesting, I think, that you mentioned uh, well, that you're raising this particular issue now because, um, you know, we are coming up to that Christmas period and that Christmas period is that time period when we do tend to, you know, overeat and all that kind of thing. And, and, and of course, here in Australia we have, you know, we don't have Thanksgiving to, to, to deal with, although I think we should because it's a fantastic holiday. Uh, but in my home, of course, you know, my wife is from the United States, so we do have Thanksgiving. So you've got, you know, a couple of major festivals and a couple of opportunities. And, if, and then you've got all of those end-of-year parties. You know, there's an end-of-year party here, there's another one there, and it sort of gets to the end of the year. And it's like, ah, oh, do we have to go to another one of these? And they all really, you know, you go to a party and it's, a time, to, it's, it's time to have a bit of a treat. Um, but how can we, how can we navigate all of these, all of this, this, the party season where we, where we are going to be invited to parties and we are going to eat things that we would not normally eat. Um, how do we navigate that without, you know, stacking on the weight and stacking on, you know, all those unhealthy calories and so forth? Yeah, great question. So I guess being prepared is key. If you, if you just turn up to those parties and hope that your willpower will be strong enough, um, you're probably destined for failure is my, my guess. But, um, I guess in terms of anticipating the challenges of of eating lots of calorie dense foods at, at um, end of end of season parties, perhaps taking along something that's healthy. So you, you might take along healthy salads or a, or a healthy sweet. Um, that that's a great option, so that when you do go to those parties, you do have some healthy alternatives. If there's if there's none that happen to be there. Um, I, I guess also when you do eat those treats, you know. And, and, and look, that's that's a given. We we all like to eat things that um, are sweet and, and tasty. Um, doing so in a mindful kind of a way. So eating eating slowly. Um, there's actually a signal that goes from your stomach to your brain that tells you you're full. And if you really sort of just gulp the food down really really quickly, um, that signal that goes to your brain actually travels quite slow. And what can happen is you, you get to the point where you think, "Oh, I've, I've overeaten. Uh, I should have eaten so much." But if you eat nice and slowly, what you tend to find is you think, mm, getting a little bit full now, I might stop. And that helps to avoid that, um, that issue of, of overeating. Mm. Also, um, before you go to those parties, it might be helpful to eat something healthy before you go so that when you arrive, you're not feeling hungry. Um, and also, filling up on water. Uh, we know water um, actually does fill you up to a certain extent. Um, and sometimes what people misinterpret is hunger can actually be thirst. So being, being well hydrated, um, yeah. And, and I guess another strategy is look at the look at the array of foods there and think which ones am I going to choose. So I don't have to eat all of them, but what are the ones I think is going to give me um, the biggest bang for my buck in terms of flavour without necessarily stacking on the stacking on the weight. Yeah, so just being particularly mindful about it and making good choices, I, I think that's great. I, uh, well, this time last year I was dealing with a, um, a particular health problem and as a result of that I'm like, you know what, I'm going to just try going off sugar and see if that um, solves this particular problem. And then, of course, the holiday season sit, hit and I'm like, whoa, how are we going to survive this? And it actually, at the end of the day, it wasn't that bad. I made it right the way through, you know, um, until now more or less without sweets uh, of, of any kind. And... Um, once, once you once your mindset changes, it's it's, it's actually not that not that uh, incredibly difficult. Um, coming back to this issue of parties, um, and I appreciate that you've um, given us some really good tips right there. 
and I also want to talk about you know how we measure you know being over overweight and etc. But uh, alcohol, alcohol is something that is you know obviously a major part of celebrations at the end of year. Uh, how does that is is this something that's going to affect weight? Absolutely. So you, you, you're basically dealing with empty calories there. Um, so when when you when you drink um, alcohol, you're, you're getting um, not just the calories in the in, in the in the beverage of your choice, but there's also the calories that come with the alcohol. So that that can contribute to to weight gain. I should mention though that some of the alcohol-free alternatives um, that are increasing in the market these days actually tend to not only to take the alcohol out of the out of the equation, but um, the process they use in fermentation actually takes out of the takes out of the equation the calories. So that often they're actually a much better um, choice when it comes to weight management um, than either their um, alcohol-containing um, um, alternatives. So these um, are actually significantly healthier. Absolutely, yeah. So you've got the, for example, your your non-alcoholic wines. You've got the benefits of the bioflavonoids. They come in those in those beverages, but um, minus the downside of the alcohol, which also comes with a significant risk of, of various cancers. Yeah, so that was something I was going to to ask. You know, you know, some of your fruit juices, like say, for instance, your uh, your, your grape juice, which is you know your non-alcoholic grape juice, um, is incredibly sweet, um, which is just nice. Uh, but does does this have the same level of empty calories that, say, a, a bottle of wine would have? Yeah, so def- definitely very calorie-laden. So, I mean, in, in terms of weight management, we're far off eating the grapes. Um, so, yeah, while, while the grape juice contains all those, those bioflavonoids, um, in the unfermented state, it does con- contain lots of, lots of calories. So if you're looking at some of those... Um, I guess they call them dealkalized wines in the market. Uh, what, what's happened there is you've got the benefits of all the bioflavonoids, but the, the sugar content's been drastically dropped due to the fermentation process, but then that alcohol's been taken out of the, um, the actual product. Mm. So there's, there's a growing number of those on the market. So if you're, if you're worried about weight, rather than going for those, those, um, I guess grape juices that, are, that can be quite sweet, you could get one of those, those dealkalized, um, Wines that um, may not taste quite as sweet, but they do definitely have a lower caloric intake. That's some that's some fantastic information. One of the things that we kind of skipped over here was how we actually measure uh, um, whether we find out whether we are overweight or obese, and whether we need to do do something about it. Yeah, so there's there's three key ways, and I guess one way is probably the most accurate way. So BMI is the common one that we use, and so if you've got a BMI between eight and a half, twenty four point nine, you could say you have a normal body weight. Um, 25 to 29.9 is overweight, and anything above 30 is overweight. But the challenge with BMI is that you can have people who actually have a, a very lean and, and muscular big frame. So think some of your, um, your Polynesian football players who are going to be um, technically obese but have a very low percentage of body fat. Um, so uh, perhaps a more accurate way is, start, is to start looking at waist circumference. Um even more accurate again is actually doing a waist height ratio, and um, that, that basically takes, takes into account people of different um, physiques, uh, different heights. So what you want to aim for is to have a waist circumference that's less than half your height. So if you're 180 centimeters, for example, you want to aim for a waist that's less than 90 centimeters. 
So if you're, if your waist is less than half your height, we know that your risk of diabetes, cancer, of heart disease is, is drastically, drastically dropped. Dr. Paul Wood, we have appreciated, as always, the amazing information that you're able to share with us here on uh, Faith FM Radio about good health. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.